kind of um, sets a bit of a tone for the new year. One thing that we've said to our congregation this year is we'd like to um, focus on reaching our community and all that that means and all that community means, whether it's Carmichael or elsewhere or your community that you deal with, we'd like to reach our community. Is that all right? Is that okay? Where you work, your family, the people that you know, uh, people that you don't know. Uh, Lord, help us to um, take out something that, you know, and I, I was speaking to a pastor in a certain place, and he helped me with this. He said, brother, I really want to know how to do that. And I said, brother, so do all of us do. And he came to understand that one of the ways that he reaches out to his community, because he lives in a smaller community, and most everyone, if they don't know each other, they will, um, he, um, he just has a way of sharing a funny story or a joke or some common experience with the person that he's working with. He mentioned to me about uh, an experience with a medical um, person in a doctor's office or something, and, and he was a bit nervous about whatever it was, and, and that person that was attending him said, you're, you're kind of nervous, aren't you? And they remembered that he had shared a funny story with them two years earlier. And they said, I remember you. And I thought, isn't that what we want? For people to say, I remember you, and not they remember us in a bad way because we were grumpy, but that, you know, even if we were nervous, we just shared a bit of our humanity. I, I once again was on the telephone this past week with one of my favorite utilities that'll go unmentioned. And, and I often find that I just can't get off the phone with these folks for less than an hour, no matter what. It could be a change of address, and it still takes an hour. And I, I, I couldn't seem to get my point across. And it was not a call center from the Philippines. It was someone here I knew in this country, because I, I could have said that, well, maybe our English and our Filipino, they weren't communicating, but, and finally I just had to say, I, I had to say, I, I, you know, somehow I have to get across what I mean to say because we're not communicating. And, and I think I just said something like, you know, um, I'm concerned because in the past we seem to don't, not communicate. I mean, we just kind of, I just kind of said what was on my heart. And they said, I understand. I, and there was fear involved. My fear was, what I'm asking you to do for us is not going to happen, is it? Because in the past, we've had these conversations, and what I've asked for doesn't happen. And so I'm nervous that this is going to be the same thing again, and I'm going to have to call back again. And I kind of shared that, and they said, I understand. I get it why you're nervous. And basically, they said, trust me. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll trust you. And if it doesn't happen, the world's not going to end, and so we'll call back later. <clears throat> but you see what I'm saying? We, um, we have opportunities to connect with people and just share ourselves, a bit of our fears and worries sometimes, 
and not be so grumpy. Brother, are you saying that sometimes God's people get grumpy? See, I know better. And this year we have an opportunity to find our community. And we don't always have an opportunity to testify, but we can share a bit of our humanity, can't we? And from that, maybe people will remember who you are in a good way. And down the road, there'll be another opportunity. Right. Isaiah chapter 6. If you're able to stand, <clears throat> I'd like you to stand and begin our text from the first seven verses of the sixth chapter of Isaiah. We're going to use this as a text and also chapter one of Isaiah. Let's read these <clears throat> six verse, seven verses here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. You know, every time God is imagined, seen in a vision, or seen before a prophet, this is how God is seen, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. It's, the prophet is seeing God in the temple. And above it stood seraphims. The seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. Almost, almost a vision of the ark of the testimony and the two heavenly creatures that faced each other with their wings touching above the mercy seat. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy. The two that faced each other were saying the same thing to each other the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is, fill, is full of his glory. And the posts of the door, listen to this. He's, he sees this vision of God in the temple and above the mercy seat with these angelic beings facing each other. And they're the ones that are crying to each other, holy, holy, holy. And the noise is so loud that the posts of the door moved of the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. It's a vision of the temple, really. But the power of this vision and of God elevated above his throne was so powerful that the posts of the building are shaking. Then said I, and so he sees himself now in this throne room with heaven, and he said, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me with a solution, a solution to his problem, having a coal in his hand, a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar the altar of sacrifice. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, 
and thy sin purged. Can you see this? Can, can, can you feel the, the trembling and the power of this room and what he experiences as the prophet? Now you say, the prophet says, I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And so you say, ah, he found himself a sinner. And then you say in verse 7, his iniquity is taken away. And we would, we would somehow think that somehow he has made acceptable in God's sight by this live coal and, and that he saw himself as a sinner. But I, I, I'll leave that the way it is. But I also want us to, to sort of also understand this idea where he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Because the psalmist said the same thing. And he said, who, who, he, he also referenced that there's something about clean hands, right? <clears throat> now, you might stop here and you might say, this is an image of a sinner before God who is being cleansed of his iniquity and therefore made righteous by God and acceptable to carry God's message to a people of unclean lips. And you would be right in saying that. But before you assign sin to Isaiah and somehow being not capable before God, I want you to go back to chapter 1. And we're going to go back to this text in chapter 6. <clears throat> and you could go anywhere in chapter 1, but really we only have to start in the first verse. <clears throat> this prophet was given a vision by God, and he was to carry this vision before four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, before we're done here this morning, we're going to read of another prophet, Micah, who was a contemporary of Isaiah in the days of uh, Hezekiah and Ahaz, I believe it is. But this prophet, this man, was given a vision by God to carry to the people that were in four kingdoms, four under four kings, I don't think Isaiah was unqualified to carry the message that God gave him, even from the first chapter in the first verse. God chose Isaiah to carry this message. He was the prophet of God to take this message to Israel. So I don't treat Isaiah as any old sinner. As a matter of fact, most folks that study the book of Isaiah, and I believe it's 66 chapters, but I could be wrong about that, see Isaiah as kind of a Bible within the Bible. It, it, there are different parts of Isaiah. There's poetry in Isaiah. There's history in Isaiah. There's prophecy in Isaiah. Jesus quotes Isaiah. Isaiah is not an insignificant person that we should consider was just an ordinary person that somehow God had to clean up. <clears throat> Isaiah was a prophet chosen by God. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless our study this morning. Lord, have your way. Help us to find ourselves in the message that we too can um, discover what, what we can do with this 
uh, now and in the months to come this year if you give us that long. Lord, that we might be able to be found faithful, most of all, that, Father, we would allow you to remain where you are and that, God, we would find ourselves called up to you. Lord, having been identified by you, Lord, and that you determine that relationship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Amen. All right. Chapter 6, verse 1. Where did God, where, where did Isaiah see God in this vision that the Lord gave him? In relation to earth, in relation to Isaiah, Isaiah saw God high and lifted up. He saw him high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each with six wings and so forth. And they cried, holy, holy, holy. And the posts of this place were shaking and so forth. And, but the point is, I'd like to draw your attention to where to where Isaiah saw God. Isaiah, he saw God high and lifted up. And I'd like to speak to about the elevation of God this morning. I hope each one of us desire that God would remain elevated, both in our vision, our lives, our community. This is where this fits with our mission this year. One of the things that will help us is to see God high and lifted up. Now, there's two ways that, there's many ways, I suppose, but at least two that human beings understand God. One is, and this is another thought that we'll bring in this, is that we define, as a human, we define, we define the elevation of God you know, elevation in a simple way, you can either be at sea level, right? Or you can be 100 feet above sea level. Or you can be at a mountain top above sea level. You can be different elevation on this earth. And depending on where you are will determine your elevation above sea level. And so you have everything to do with that. You get in a car, you drive up to the foothills, you're 1,000 feet above sea level, you drive on over the summit, you're 7,000 feet above sea level. You determine your elevation above sea level. You make it happen. You get out, you stand up there, the air is a little thinner. You say, aha, I have um, changed my location. Uh, I have everything to do with my elevation. And as humans, we tend to look at the world and everything around us this way, that, that we determine everything about our life. Well, now, <clears throat> that's one way that people look at themselves in relation to the world and other things, is that we determine. We determine how these things happen. Well, if we're not cap careful, the second way that human beings understand this is that we determine God's elevation. We determine how high God will be in our lives. We, we determine that. Now this, this becomes a problem 
because as soon as the human reaches out to touch the divine, to determine the relationship with the divine, problems happen. The human, in this sense, is the man with unclean lips. You follow? And unclean lips is a type of an idea that we've mentioned many times. Unclean lips is a type of the profane. The profane doesn't necessarily, as we've said, doesn't mean nasty words and dirty language and that. Profane in its most elemental sense, elementary sense, is common or human or ordinary. That's what profane really means. Common, ordinary, um, low. The divine is always meant to be high and lifted up. Amen? God assigns himself his own elevation above all creation. God assigns. He doesn't need us to assign that to him. He assigns that to himself. When the prophet saw this vision, God was already high and lifted up. The prophet had nothing to do with God's elevation. God was elevated above all that is. And so if, if we get nothing else but this this morning, we need to be very careful this year that as we see the elevation of God, that we allow him to determine his elevation, that we allow him to be high and lifted up as he describes himself, that we have nothing to do with placing God, that we have nothing to do with placing God in any certain place, you know. One of the ways people do this is through doctrine, teaching. They say, God must be at this elevation according to my doctrine. If divinity, or high and lifted up, or holiness means that, for example, and I'll use a silly example, that we all must wear one red sock and one blue sock in order to be holy, that that's how God is high and lifted up, is that we do this or we do that, then we have assigned a certain elevation of God. And people do this all the time. That's why divisions among religion happen, because people have assigned different elevations of God. They've assigned different definitions of God. They say, you can't be holy unless this, this, this. Or you can't be holy. No, 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 I disagree. Holy must be this, this, this. God himself is quite capable of assigning his own elevation. Our job is simply to be found high and lifted up with him, to allow him to lift us up. Not that we lift him up, if you understand what I'm saying this morning. We allow him to be high and lifted up. The prophet saw him. He was already high and lifted up. That's how he saw him. He didn't assign a certain stratosphere to God. That's the first point. There's a difference between assigning a certain divinity, holiness, or identity to God 
and allowing him to identify himself and then us to find ourselves there. There's a difference. There's a difference. Let's go back to chapter 1 in Isaiah. That's the essence of chapter 6, those verses that we read. The elevation of God and how the prophet saw him above the profane. Okay. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which was he saw concerning Judah and so forth. And I'm going to skip down to verse 10 in chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Now Isaiah is speaking to the people. Give ear unto the law our God, of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. I mean, he's almost treating Israel in the same sense as Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Now, we're going to see this again in Micah. Saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed beasts. And I, look at, I, deny, I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of goats, when you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Now this is God speaking to the prophet and the prophet speaking to Israel. Bring no more vain oblations. He called their sacrifices worthless. Incense is an abomination unto me. That's what God said. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting, even their worship services. This word abomination is also translated in other places as idolatry. Six things the Lord hates, Yea, the seventh is an abomination. Yea, the seventh is idolatry. Why? Idolatry separates God's people from God. That's the essence of idolatry. And so when he says, this is an abomination, what he's saying is, all of these things, your traditions, your rituals, your definitions, what you have understood, it is, it is actually creating a separation between me and you. Therefore, it's an abomination because that is idolatry. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. Look at that's what he said. All right. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will mine eyes from you. I'll hide them. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. And this is his solution. This is what he's telling his people. Wash you. Make yourself clean. When Isaiah saw him, Isaiah became the example for Israel. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. In other words, Isaiah, in relation to this elevation of God, even Isaiah found himself profane, ordinary, common, standing before the divine and saying to God, 
who am I? I am I, not qualified to go out. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. This is what God, he said, is very simple. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Another word is seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. In other words, Isaiah tells Israel, look, it's not that hard, but I need your heart. What I have is your obedience, but I don't have your heart. I have your uh, sort of, I don't have your commitment. I have your compliance. I want your heart. Because your traditions, your rituals, God could say the same thing to anybody at any time in history. Part of the church, not part of the church. He could say the same thing. I want your heart. And if I have your heart, you'll understand that it's not your traditions and your understanding and your knowledge and your name that will get you to heaven. It's that you, you, you allow me to be high and lifted up. And you, and you have a desire to be where I am. And your, 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 your rituals, your traditions, your worship service, everything, if it is... If it is somehow, if you're assigning any righteousness to that, see? That's why we can't say, oh, I'm so happy that I'm in this place and not in that place. Oh, if I were in that place, the judgment of God is upon that place. And fire and brimstone will come down on that place and destroy that place. I'm so happy I'm in this place. If that is leaking into this sense of righteousness. That's a problem. There's no security in a name. There's no security in a tradition of man. There's no security in a ritual. There's no security in a movement. Hello? There's no security in a denomination. There's no security in, in anything that the human assigns to or, 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 or defines as valuable. There's no security in that. That ultimately is unclean lips. It's profane. And we, if we can find ourselves at a moment in our life before the holy, before the divine, and really see ourselves the way we are, the way God sees us, now, I believe that we can get to the place where Isaiah got. Otherwise, this is just a, a vain search for the entire life. You know, never quite getting there. No, I, I think that the human can actually get to the place where if they leave God high and lifted up, and they love to be with that, that God finds that acceptable. I believe we can get to that place. But in chapter 6... What first needs to happen is, is the human needs to see themselves in relation to God with unclean lips. At, at all times, if it weren't for the live coal that comes off the offer of sacrifice, how do you know it's the offer of sacrifice? Because it is there 
and not the, the incense altar. It is from the altar of sacrifice that the sin offering is made. And it is from there that this live coal is in the hand of this angelic being, this heavenly being is a better way to say it, and he places it on the mouth of the prophet, and his iniquity is purged. Now you say, brother, well, that's simply an illustration of how somebody gets saved. This is a prophet. The prophet is already a prophet before he has this encounter. There's some symbolism here which is important. Yes, it's true that only through God's intervention can our iniquity purge. Yes, that's true. But I think the church can get to the place where there's a measure of self-satisfaction. I'm so happy I'm here and not there. And we too, just as one of God's prophets, Amen. In order to say anything that comes from heaven, we need a coal touched to our lips. Amen. Amen. I wonder if sometimes God's people become silent and ineffective because they simply don't see the need for God to place a coal on their unclean lips. You say, brother, I don't have unclean lips. God has cured me of that. I, I don't know how to say it to you this morning. I just feel a need as a human standing before this heavenly throne room with the post shaking of God's glory and this prophet, the prophet saying, I mean, I, 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 I would feel uncomfortable standing in the prophet's presence. How am I going to do this? Moses said the same thing. How am I going to do this? God had called him. Moses, how am I going to do this? And God enabled him. And so today, this year, if we're going to reach our community, God needs to enable us. And we need to leave him high and lifted up and not assign our own thinking to his elevation, his plane. There's another idea that goes with this. Seek to understand the God which elevates himself, not the God of our own making. The God of our own making is the God that we have come to understand by everything that, that we've learned or experienced. But you know, as we said, this past Wednesday when we were studying how to study the Bible, there are different biases that we all have that somehow leak into our understanding. We have preferences, things that we've learned, things that we believe. Those things are biases in all of us. And to the best of our ability, we need to understand those biases. And especially in this sense, at the end of the day, it's almost as if the person needs to empty themselves of all of our ideas, all of our notions, and simply allow God to be high and lifted up and see him that way. And when we go to prophesy, when we go to testify, Lord, take a coal off that altar of sacrifice. 
and touch it to my lips because I feel profane in relation to the divine. I feel that way. How you see me is your business, but my desire is to be enabled to, to reach my community. The other idea that goes with this, and I thought about this recently, allowing God to be high and lifted up versus us elevating him to our understanding. It's like the difference between renting something and owning something. I wonder if sometimes a person, not even knowingly, can assign a relationship to God which is like renting God. I think this happens in, in, especially in the religious landscape today, that human beings assign an identity to God, a divinity of God, it must be this way. This is how my tradition holds it. This is how I see it. By the way, do you know we have a tradition? Do you know we have rituals? You're participating in a ritual right now. You're sitting there listening to me. That's a ritual that we come. We expect that. If we don't get it, somehow we, we think we've been cheated. I went to church, I sang songs, I prayed, but I didn't hear any preaching. It's a ritual. The fact that we sing songs, a certain number of songs, that's a ritual. We have rituals. We have all sorts of things, just like anybody else. Okay. But you know, if we're not careful and we just fall into a pattern, it can be like we're renting God. You know? While I'm on this earth, I... Uh, submit myself to God's authority, I repent, I, I ask him to forgive me, I do all the things that I know to do, and then I rent God for the rest of my life. And guess what? Uh, when you rent a car, when the rental period is over, what do you do with it? You give it back, right? Now, if there's a little scratch on it and it doesn't rise to the level of, you know, a problem, if, if the hubcap got a little scuffed or something and the rental company doesn't care, you just give them back the car, right? You used it. It had ordinary wear and tear. When you're done with it, you give it back, right? I wonder sometimes if people are really renting God. At any moment in time, if it's not convenient or when the period is up, they give him back. Hmm. Have you ever been in a situation where you were with somebody or a group of people and their behavior started to turn in a direction that was uncomfortable for you? People at the office, people at the job site, people at work, people at school. You ever been with some other students at school and all of a sudden the conversation started to go a little nasty? They were telling bad jokes or they were trying to talk about another girl or another boy and take sides and have, and, and, and you felt uncomfortable. Anything, right? If we're renting God in that moment, we'll go with the flow. We'll go with the group. We'll go with the other kids. We'll go with the coworkers. We'll go with the, we'll go with the flow. 
Why? Because we don't want to be different. We don't want to be um, the odd person out. We'll just go with the flow. At that moment, we've turned God back in because it's not convenient to have him own us. We are renting God at that point. And even if you say, brother, that wouldn't be my desire, I want to be faithful and so forth, there are other ways to rent God even if we don't turn him back in. It's a long-term rental. I'm leasing God. A rental or a lease is a, is a, a contract between you and whoever owns what it is you're renting or leasing, subject to terms, and usually either party can go their way, you know, like any contract. Renting God. Now, there's another way, and this is, I, I think, the biblical way to look at our relationship with God. And it's not that we... Now, here's the other thing. If you're renting something, you can also own something, can't you? And you can decide whether you're going to take better care of it if you own it than if you rent it. But I'm even looking at it different than that. We're not to own God. God is to own us. Now, if we allow God to own us, then he gets to decide what happens to us. He gets to determine how we behave. He gets to determine what comes out of our mouth. We are owned by him. The relationship is a, is a, a, a servant relationship. He gets to own us. Why? Because if we leave him high and lifted up, if we leave him elevated, he says, all souls are mine. If we leave him elevated, he gets to own us. And then everything that that means, now when I wake up in the day, my idea is, Lord, how can I please you? How can I accomplish your will? Why? Because you are in charge of me. I am your property. This is not a rental relationship. I'm not renting you until it's no longer convenient. As we sang these songs this morning, one of the thoughts that came through my head is, I need him, right? We sang that song. I need him. Who's the one person that we all need at the end of the day? Jesus Christ. When we take our last breath, we needed, before that, we needed our mom, we needed our dad, we needed our wife, we needed our husband, we needed our children, we need somebody else. But at the end of the day, the one that we all need is Christ. The last one on going out of this life that we need is Christ. Why? Because in that day, he will be our judge and not our savior. So I need him. I need him every day. I need my wife. I need my children. I need my parents. I need my loved ones. I need the other. I need them. But at the end of all of it, I need Christ. I don't understand. I really don't. How a person can go through life believing that they rent God. Because at the end of the day, you don't really need him. You're, you're going to turn him back in when it's convenient for you. But if I allow him to be elevated, 
If, if he is elevated, he owns me. Somebody, and I think this is a wise statement, begin with the end in mind. If the end is, I want to be accepted by the one who owns me, if that's the end, then looking back every day, I live with that in mind. What that does, it creates a coherent life, a life that makes sense, a life that solves the problem of absurdity that we've talked about. I begin with the end in mind every day. He is high and lifted up. Every day I realize without that coal on my lips, I, I'm in a profane place. The only way that I can be anywhere where you can accept me is, is that you touch me. Amen. Now let's go to Micah. Micah is after Jonah and Hosea and before Nahum. Some people call Micah a minor prophet, but none of these prophets are minor. The book of Micah. Now, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, uh, the Morastite, the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So you see, he was a prophet in the days of three of the kings that were also in Isaiah's time. They were contemporaries. So what Isaiah saw, Micah also saw. Where he was a prophet was down near the coast, near, um, what today would be that place that sends rockets into Israel, Gaza. He, he was near the Philistines. That's where Micah preached. It was a, a country kind of place. If Isaiah was speaking more from an urban place in Jerusalem, Micah's more in a country kind of place, and he's looking up at the hills of Judea and the centers of power in Jerusalem and, and Samaria, and he's preaching against uh, all of the abuses of power, Micah. But he says the same that Isaiah says in chapter 6, Micah chapter 6, in verse 6. Remember what Isaiah said in chapter 1. Isaiah, uh, Micah says the same. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? He's, he's saying, I, I have the same smallness that Isaiah felt. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my, of my soul? He's asking the same thing, coming to the same conclusion that Isaiah came to. None of this is what God wants. God wants our heart. Now, he'll leave us our ritual, he'll leave us our tradition, but he wants our heart. If our ritual and our tradition help us to get to the high and lift it up, that's fine. But what he really wants is our heart. And so then the prophet says, Will the Lord, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. He, he says the same thing as Isaiah. 
And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do what? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. At the end of the day, life is very simple. Walk humbly. You, you, you can think about this for a while. And everything that, that we do, everything that, you know, our little hang-ups and so forth, our personalities, we can go back to the scripture and say, is this is what I'm doing? Am I doing this? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. When we allow God to be elevated, we see ourselves as we really are. The second is God elevates us when we allow him to be elevated. And when that happens, then we can be sent. But we need to see ourselves as we really are and do business with that. See God as high and lifted up, and then he will elevate us. Thirdly, when that happens, then we can be sent. We need, if we, if we were to go back to Isaiah, remember what he said, woe is me? Human beings need to get to the woe is me place. Even if you've been saved this morning, even if you, you, you believe Jesus is your savior, there are times in a human being's life, amen, I believe this, when we need to get to the woe is me place. Otherwise, what happens is we count on a, on a tradition, we count on a, uh, we're placing our, our faith in a God that we have ultimately rented. And when it's convenient for us to, 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 to be carnal, to, to, to have disagreements at home, when it's convenient for us to be stuck in our position and, 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 and upset, right, and, and life is just negative, right, I wonder if at a moment we are renting God. And at that point, a person needs to get to the woe is me place and say, Lord, evidently, I need a coal on my lips. I have lowered you to an elevation of my own making. But if we allow the holy to be elevated, he will elevate us, and then he can send us. Amen. God sends us. I want to go back to Isaiah 6, and we'll close here in verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? See, Isaiah wanted to be sent. And the Lord was asking, who can I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Why? Because he had a coal placed on his lips. And even though he saw himself as a man of unclean lips amidst a people of unclean lips and he felt low and profane, God had, had, had called him and qualified him. And so he now raised his hand and said, I, I can go, I'm ready to go, now send me. And I wonder, can each of us say that this morning? When I go out Monday, tomorrow, I can say, God, send me, I'm ready, I'm ready. My profane things, Lord, you have touched. I still have my personality. I still have my, 
my weaknesses. I still have my faults, as it were. But God, you, 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 you have brought me up to a place where I can now say, send me. All of us need to be able to say, send me. Amen. Amen. I wrote down here, somebody says, oh, brother, I, I hear you, and, I, and, and, I, and I'll pray for the one that feels that way, but I believe that God has qualified me, and I, I'm, I'm being sent, and so forth. And, and, and I, I wrote down here, is there even a little thimbleful in you? Even a little small portion that says at times, God, I feel so unqualified. Is there even a thimbleful left? Or are you so convinced that if you were in this throne room, you could have your chest out saying, thank God, I'm, I am called and qualified, and I'm not as that publican over there. Jesus had something to say about that. That's called humility. Let me ask you a question. Do we all, all of us still need a little thimble full of humility? Okay. So yes, this is about a person that is profane, that is called up to the holy. Or it is about a person whose iniquity can be purged. Yes, it is about that. But I believe in, in, this, in this idea here, there is also the thought that God's people need to continue to have a measure of humility, that we feel at times, God, call me up. Call me up to your level. I feel, just be I, I feel a bit below my calling. Call me up to your level. All right. The elevation of God is much more than the renting of God. It is more so about the ownership of God of us. And so I thought, well, as we begin this year, can we all agree, Lord, help us to allow you to be high and lifted up. And as we go out into the community, help us to witness that high and lifted up God. Now, it, if we allow that to happen, it will take out all of the argument, all of the religious argument. Oh, brother, it has to be this, it has to be this. And there is truth, and there is things that must be, I get that. But if we simply allow God to be high and lifted up, he, he, believe me, I, I believe this, much of the argument that people get in about religious things will go away. Because at the end of the day, every eye shall see. Every ear shall hear, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what is true will be true. Wouldn't it be nice that we, we don't rent our God in the ideas that we have of his creation, but we, we simply allow him to own us. Live that way. All right, okay. There's a lot more. I'm going to finish now. Let's stand.